Good evening. Welcome to the Ambassadors Forum here on True Talk 800 KPDQ here in the Great Northwest. My name is Charles Jackson. I don't normally sound this way, but when allergies get to me, I sound like a cross between Barry White and the guy who did the voice for Darth Vader. But that's where I am. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for this half hour. Today, the topic is progressive theology. This is one of the topics that we at the Ambassadors Forum are prepared to talk about, prepared to talk to you about, something we've researched and something we've prepared answers for. A few years ago, a New York Times writer named Nicholas Kristof interviewed Pastor Tim Keller, famous pastor from New York City, where he asked him, Tim, I deeply admire Jesus and his message, but I am also skeptical of themes that have been integral to Christianity, like the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' miracles, and so on. Am I a Christian? Nicholas Kristof continued, but the earliest accounts of Jesus's life, like the Gospel of Mark and Paul's letter to the Galatians, don't even mention the virgin birth. And the reference in Luke to the virgin birth was written in a different kind of Greek and was probably added later. So isn't there room for skepticism on these issues? He added even more. So where does that leave people like me? Am I a Christian, a Jesus follower, a secular Christian? Can I be a Christian while doubting the resurrection? I ask you, as Christians, what do we do with this? What do we do with folks who believe within some kind of Christianity or parts of Christianity, but not all of it? What do we do with folks whose belief trajectory is away from biblical truth, even if they hold on to some of the biblical truth? When somebody moves away from Christian truth, what do they replace it with? How do we talk to somebody who respects the Bible, but doesn't believe the Bible? What do we do with someone who believes Jesus is a great moral leader, but not God in human form? What do we do with folks who believe Jesus' death on the cross is an example of nonviolent love, but they don't believe it accomplished any spiritual victory for anybody? And what happens to denominations that move away from belief in the Bible? What do they replace it with? What are the consequences of their belief? Today, again, is about progressive theology, which has different names. Some call it liberal Christianity. Some call it red letter Christians. Some call it social justice churches. I prefer progressive theology as a term. Disclaimers. This is about theology not politics. There's overlap, but I'm focusing today only on theology. I also want to represent progressive church folks fairly, but I still want to criticize their ideas. I will try my best to avoid all straw men. Progressive theology, I also acknowledge as a spectrum. Not every progressive churchgoer thinks the exact same, mostly because progressive theology is a movement not based on common belief, but on common disbelief. It doesn't construct as much as it deconstructs. Lastly, the word progressivism in and of itself is not a bad word, and conservatism isn't inherently a good word. It depends on what you're conserving and what you're progressing towards. If I was in the UK 100 years ago, I would be conserving a British monarchy. I would be conserving a British empire. Neither of those two things I support. Again, so the, the progressive and conservatism depend on the object that's being conserved, whether it's good or bad. I start with a very foundational conservative theological verse comes from 1 Corinthians 15, where the writer Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. This chapter, 1 Corinthians here, is about conserving theology, conserving Christian theology passed from Jesus to the apostles onto us, and not giving in, not progressing into anything 
that would discard this. These verses establish the gospel. They declare it's the doctrine we stand on. And we declare it's the doctrine that saves us and rescues us. And it puts a condition on it that we must hold firmly to it. Otherwise, it's in vain and powerless and unable to do anything for us. It shows how it's based on real events, real events in history accomplished by real people that accomplish something. Jesus dying for our sins, then coming to life again. It establishes the New Testament writers as scriptural, as scripture writers, and not just mere biographies about a dude in old Palestine. And it establishes that these doctrines come from Jesus himself to the apostles, to 500 others, and then to Paul. It says Christian doctrine is evidence-based and eyewitness-based. To define progressive theology, we need to define what it's progressing away from, because that's how it defines itself. We are orthodox Christians. We believe in orthodoxy. Orthodoxy with a small o, not orthodoxy with a capital O, meaning Eastern Orthodox churches like Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox. But we believe in orthodoxy, right belief. Orthodoxy means holding to a doctrine or a creed or a truth. An example of this would be, an example of betraying orthodoxy would be if you are, let's say, a socialist. If a socialist believes that the rich should only pay 1% of their income in taxes, he might call himself a socialist, but he would be outside of socialist orthodoxy. If a person is Amish, but this person has an iPhone and promotes to other Amish folks that they should all have iPhones, this person might declare that he's Amish, but he would be outside of Amish orthodoxy. Again, as Christians, we are orthodox, we are creedal, we hold to the Apostles' Creed and other creeds and confessions. If somebody believes in Jesus, but he believes that Jesus wasn't God, that Jesus is merely a moral teacher, if he believes the Bible can make moral suggestions, but it's not a moral authority, that person is outside of Christian orthodoxy. They're outside of the creeds. There are biblical commands to be orthodox. 1 Timothy 4, 16 says, watch your life and your doctrine closely persevere in both of them, because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. Second Thessalonians, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Another one, Matthew 18, Jesus says this, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for that person to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Truth is important to Jesus. The whole book of Acts is about maintaining truth against errors, errors like Jewish ethnic nationalism, the Judaizer group, Phariseeism, Sadduceeism, Gnosticism, liberation theology, and also weird pentecostal magicians like Simon the Sorcerer. So, biblically, we believe in biblical truth and hold to it, but then here comes progressive theology. What are some of the foundations of progressive theology? Well, this comes from a Episcopal priest. Again, I want to represent folks who believe in progressive theology. I want to represent them accurately without creating any false straw men. This comes from an Episcopal priest who is himself very much a progressive churchgoer. He says, true religion, well, he has seven points. Point number one, to progressive churchgoers. True religion is not based on church or scriptural authority. The religion we practice is more determined by your internal beliefs, what each person believes. Point number two, Christianity is about social reconstruction. Christianity is about improving the world, which leads to progress, thus the root of progressivism, progressive theology. Lots of people believe in making the world better, 
but they disagree about the methods or direction or the end results. Progressive theology's definition of a better world is the progressive definition. They're seeking to progress to a progressive world, not an Amish world, not a Muslim world, not a Baptist world, but a progressive world. Number three, Christianity must be credible and relevant to those in academia. Modern scholarship is almost always correct and should be trusted. So if learned people say something in the Bible isn't true, if they believe there is strong evidence against that, well, then we should discard that part of the Bible or modify our understanding of it because clearly it isn't true anymore. Number four, the facts and events of the Bible aren't crucial as long as we're impressed by Jesus. It doesn't matter if what Jesus did is true as long as we're impressed by him, that his life has some effect on us as it motivates us. Number five, true religion is the way of Christ not doctrines about Christ. It's not based on truth. It's based on Jesus' lifestyle. Number six, again, these all come from a progressive theologian. A Christian's primary struggle is against external things, not internal things, not pride and lust, but rather external things outside of you that affect you like racism and power imbalances. I would point out that folks who believe in an orthodox view, they're conserving a biblical theology, we believe we get our beliefs from a scripture outside of ourselves, an objective source of truth. And what we battle is things inside of us, pride, selfishness, a laziness, a hate. Progressives get truth from inside themselves and they battle things outside of themselves. Homophobia, capitalism, racism, systemic racism. Number seven, a lot of progressive churchgoers would say that all social issues are seen through the lens of the civil rights struggle. An example of this would be a couple years ago when the uh, United Methodist Church, now the not-so-United Methodist Church, they were debating the ordination of homosexual Methodist ministers. And I knew three folks who were very much on the pro-homosexual ordination side. I read all the articles they linked to on Facebook and privately. And then there was a battle. And then the conservative side of the Methodist church was largely, largely coming from the African Methodist churches. And when the two sides would debate, the progressive side would cast their view as something analogous to the civil rights struggle. Well, just as we liberated black Americans and gave them the rights to vote and full rights of citizenship, well, we should do that with folks who have homosexual feelings as well. And the African side their arguments were Bible verses. If a man lies with a man as he lies with a woman, it's an abomination. This is from Leviticus. They would ask, why are we even debating this? It shows the two sides, their views and their sources of authority. I'm about to compare orthodox belief with more progressive beliefs. I once again say that this is based on a continuum. It's based on a spectrum. Some progressive churchgoers have some progressive beliefs, but they also sometimes have some orthodox beliefs. So what I'm about to say is not necessarily true of all progressive churchgoers, but we'll jump in anyway. Let's contrast doctrines. In Christianity, I would argue the most important thing that we believe in is not just God's existence, but his nature. Orthodox biblical theology would say that God's nature, what is it? God is a holy, personal, all-powerful creator. He's sinless. He's a trinity. He is love. The Bible's description of him is authoritative, and he both loves righteousness and hates wickedness, which is why he is willing to forgive and does forgive, but he also judges justly. A progressive view of God's nature might be something like God is an all-powerful creator existing in a trinity, but there's room to envision God in the way that is best for you. He is a mystery, so we can't be dogmatic about what he is like, but he's loving, so we know that he wouldn't harm anybody. Contrasting the views of Jesus. Orthodox believers would say Jesus is God incarnate, the begotten Son of God, the Creator, the Logos of God from John 1. 
He's the propitiation. He's equal to God himself. He's the atoning lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Progressive theologians might say, well, to some folks, he's the son of God. To others, he's a progressive radical who taught nonviolence, social justice, economic deliverance for the poor, and love for your enemies. Some of those things are true, but they're not comprehensive enough to represent who Jesus really is. What would contrasting views of the Bible? Orthodox, conservative theologians would say the Bible is God's revealed knowledge, everything God wants us to know, the words of God, and ultimate truth, truth with a capital T. It's authoritative in what it says. It's historically accurate. And according to 2 Timothy 3, it's God-breathed. The difficult parts in the Bible need to be reconciled with other parts of the Bible. Whereas a progressive view might say, the Bible contains the words of God, but it also contains the words of man. It's not all God's words. Rather, it's stories that show how man struggled to understand God in pre-modern times. It's suggestive more than authoritative. It's wise truth with a lowercase t, it contains great things, but also contains errors and even immoral teachings sometimes. It should be understood via modern scholarship and culture so we can understand the good parts of the Bible and discard the bad parts of the Bible. The nature of man, the nature of people. Those of us who are Orthodox would say that man is created in God's image for fellowship with God and tasked with managing the earth. But then we sinned. We fell into sin. We're doomed to judgment and separation from God unless we turn away from our sin believe in Christ's atoning work. Whereas a progressive churchgoer might say, we're all God's children. Progressives either believe we're basically good or they believe that we're capable of good and bad. They believe we have a dualist nature. What is the mission of the church? The Orthodox would say, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded. Whereas a progressive theologian might say, the mission of the church is to make the world a better place through social justice. The view of salvation. Those of us who are conservative would say, salvation is for those who repent of their sins and believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the only things that make us acceptable to God. And that's what rescues us from death and hell. And that the righteousness of Christ is applied to us. We persist in this belief until we die. Perseverance of the saints. A progressive churchgoer might say, Salvation is, while some have faith in Jesus Christ, but it's more important to follow him and imitate him than it is to believe in him. Salvation is earthly, and salvation is to help the poor and the marginalized. God accepts folks outside of Christian belief, folks from other religions, and we're all on our own spiritual journey, and we should respect that journey. There are other doctrines. Those are the ones I stop to focus on because they're foundational, because they are divisive in this case. Progressive theology, where did it come from? don't have time to go on the whole history of it. I'd say maybe in the 1500s, we have Unitarians and Universalists. Unitarians didn't believe in a trinity. They began in 16th century Europe. They had a presence in colonial New England. Universalists believed everyone goes to heaven. Those two groups merged in the 1960s. Another source of progressive theology, 19th century higher criticism that studied the Bible as a man-made document of literature, mostly by German and English deists. And then in the 20th century, you have folks like Karl Barth and Rudolf Bultmann who are partially orthodox, but also a bit progressive. In the 1920s and 30s, at Princeton Seminary, there's the fundamentalist versus modernist controversy. You can read about that. Big change, very big change. Progressivism enters American mainline seminaries in the very late 1800s and early 1900s. And in the early 60s and 70s, it's when it takes a very big foothold in mainline denominations of the United States. 
those mainline denominations being the Presbyterian Church of the USA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, and the Christian Reformed Church, and some smaller ones, some smaller denominations too. Not every person in a mainline church is a progressive churchgoer, but many are. That is where it lives within the United States. That's where progressive theology is held, almost primarily. Popular influential progressive churchgoers would be Nadia Bowles-Weber, I would say Marcus Borg, who's from my home state of Oregon, although he passed away a few years ago. John Shelby Spong, the Episcopal priest. Rachel Held Evans, who also passed away. Rob Bell. William Paul Young, who wrote The Shack. Uh, Greg Boyd, pastor out in uh, Minnesota. He's only partially progressive, but he is a progressive theologian. Tony Campolo, who went from an activist with conservative theology to an activist with progressive theology. There are more. I had to name some. Those are the ones I chose to name. One of the fascinating things about progressive theology is that it dies. It dies at a certain rate. It dies at a certain pace. If you give me two options and you say, okay, they're going to have two kinds of churches. This one church is going to adopt whatever the culture says, and it's going to become very culturally pleasing. This other kind of church is going to stick to creeds no matter what academia says, no matter what the culture says. You would think that the accommodating church, the accommodating denomination would be the one that thrives and attracts folks because it's adapting to where culture is going and that the one that's recalcitrant and stands its ground would be the one that dies, but it's actually the other way around. Progressive churches, progressive denominations, once they adopt progressivism tend to die. Whereas the ones that stake their claim and they say, I, this is what we believe. We're not giving up no matter what. Those are the churches. Sometimes they die. Sometimes they hold steady. Sometimes they grow. But over time, over the last 50 years, they're the ones who have grown or held steady while progressive denominations are just dying and relinquishing influence. And in three or four more decades, they'll barely be alive in the United States based on current trajectory. Why is it dying? That's debatable. I don't know the answer completely. I would speculate because with progressive theology, when you have a clash between, say, a biblical doctrine and what progressive culture requires you to believe, Progressive theology always surrenders the biblical doctrine and adopts whatever culture wants it to believe. Thus, over time, it's becoming not progressive Christianity, but just general progressivism. As the Christianity gets minimized, the progressivism increased, and it just reflects and it almost equals modern secular progressivism. Whereas deep down inside, people don't want that. Many people don't want that. They want something that transcends culture. They want something that doesn't die. They want something that doesn't adapt. They want some objective truth. And that does appeal to folks, contrary to what we might expect. At the Ambassadors Forum, when we do apologetics, one of the things we like to do is we like to get to the root of things, not the branches. When conservative theology and progressive theology disagrees, we disagree on sexual ethics. We might disagree on the resurrection of Jesus. We might have ethical disagreements. We might have procedural disagreements. We might disagree about the existence or non-existence of the devil. But the basic difference, one of the root differences, is authority. Either God tells us who he is, or we determine who God is. Romans says that he is the potter, we are the clay. Progressive theology doesn't outright say this, but it implies that we are the potter and he is the clay, or his words are the clay. The Bible would say to subordinate our cultural views, philosophy, and our academic views to scripture, Progressive theology says we can only retain doctrines that progressive thought, culture, and academia allow us to. The Bible says to wrestle with scriptural difficulties and to judge the Bible within the Bible. That's what being systematic is in our theology. Progressive theology would say to evaluate scripture and retain or discard what you feel is right. 
I believe very strongly in First Thessalonians 2. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe, according to Paul, speaking to the Thessalonian church. If a church becomes progressive, it starts to discard certain things, things that are foundational and valuable. For example, if you don't believe that God created the world, well, then you don't really have a world with a purpose. If you don't believe in an actual Adam and Eve, then you can't have the fall. And without the fall, you eventually get no forgiveness. If you give up on ancient Old Testament history, then you can't have a story of God working through a group of people, through miracles and through his word and through his acts and through his forgiveness. If you don't believe, if you give up on the Old Testament law as ever being good because it was cruel, racist, sexist, then you miss how God used slavery to bring human rights into the world. How he used laws to illustrate his wisdom. How he used the Old Testament laws to introduce trial by peer. Checks and balances in government. The testimony of multiple witnesses as a basis for guilt. Preventative medicine. Crop rotation. If you discard Jesus as being God in human flesh, then you can't have a God who suffered with us and shared our sorrows. If you give up on Paul's morality because he didn't let women teach, then you've rejected New Testament, all of New Testament theology. If you give up on faith in Christ being exclusive and necessary, then the work of Jesus isn't really unique or special. It's merely your preferred religion among many religious options. If you give up on the substitutionary atonement, then you can't have a crucifixion that accomplished anything ultimate in your life, and there's no reconciliation between God and man. If you give up on the judgment of God in Revelations, then you have a God who overlooks evil, not one who deals with it. If you give up on a perfect, flawless word of God, then you don't have transcendent truth. You just have your opinion and a lot of uncertainty. If you don't have a God, if you give up on a God with a perfect, holy, awesome God nature, then all you have left is a God made in your image. And that kind of God is never worth sharing. And you don't have any, you'll lose all sorts of spiritual urgency. Running out of time. Lastly, when we confront folks, when we talk to folks who come from a position of progressive theology. How do we respond? Depends on what the question is. I would always ask everybody, where are you coming from? How long have you believed this? Why do you believe this? Who plants the thoughts in your head? Who influences your thinking? I'd ask those questions to find out where the person's coming from. And ultimately, ultimately, again, ignoring the branches and getting to the root of things, ask them about how God reveals knowledge to us. Many folks would say that those who are orthodox are cocky because they would say it's cocky to believe that we have the truth and we know the truth and our truth is the only truth and God has spoken in this way and not those other ways. And they would say that the more humble thing to do is acknowledge that we can't really know God in specifics and it's cocky to say we do. But actually, I'll phrase it this way, it's cockier to have an opinion about God without an objective source that's speaking to all of us. Christians say God is like this because he says he's like this in Matthew, in Romans, in Isaiah. Progressive theology would say God loves social justice and tolerance and open-mindedness and all expressions of sexual love because that's what kindness is and God must be kind, so he must be that way. If somebody has that opinion, I would say, well, do you have an objective source for that? Where has God revealed that about himself? Where has he revealed himself that about himself in a way that's accessible by everybody in the world, as we would believe that the Bible is accessible by everybody in the world, capable of reading. 
if they don't have an objective source for it, if they say, well, that's again, that's what kindness is and God must be kind. I would say then the source is clearly within yourself. Christianity is very much top-down theology directly from God to us. While progressive theology emanates from the heart of man to define God up above in the way we would like to define him. There's a lot more I want to say, very constricted by time. Please feel free to contact us anytime. You can find us at theambassadorsforum.com on the internet. I say again, that's theambassadorsforum.com. That is where you will find us. Thank you for listening to the Ambassadors Forum here on this Saturday morning, right here on True Talk 800 KPDQ. Once again, my name is Charles Jackson. We appreciate you. God bless. Take care.